How many of you can remember your school reports? Scars go deep, don't they? Especially, especially us older members. You know? Tries hard, but could do better. That was pretty much, it was like an encyclopedia on that same thing for me. Every time I'd come home, or my parents would come back, they'd all say the same thing, don't matter whether you're talking about maths or English or science or PE or anything. Tries hard, could do better. It's probably quite true, having said that. I remember once we had this PE thing, we used to have to run round the block. Goodness knows why. But we had to, and so you had to leave the gates, turn left, and then you went down this alleyway round the back, to the bottom of the hill, across, and then straight up the hill, back round. So, me being me, generally, I would run the first bit because the teacher was there. And then when it got to the alleyway, no teacher, I'd have a pleasant chat and conversation and walk down the alleyway, walk along the bottom bit, walk up the side of the road there until you get to the corner where you know the teacher can see you and then you sprint the last little bit so that you build up a sweat so it looks like you've worked hard. Anybody else ever done that? Don't answer that, you're in church. One day I foolishly, and this was such a silly thing to do, I thought I wonder how fast I could actually do it if I apply myself. What an idiot. So I ran, as I would do normally, to the end, but I actually ran down the other one, down the alleyway, ran across the bottom, ran up the hill, and ran back again, and I came third in the whole year. The teacher kept timesheets of every time that we'd done it, and he went, Varko, what's this? And I said, what? He said, how come you've knocked about five minutes off your normal speed? And I went, uh-oh, uh-oh. He said, from now on, my eyes are on you. If you do not make this time each time, detention for you. Then I knew the value of wisdom. What an idiot. So I ended up having to run from then on. But it's about expectations, isn't it? When you're in school, it's about expectations. They all have an expectation of you about how well or how badly you can do. I heard about a a school, this is back in the 1960s, and then each class, the teacher at the start of the year were given the IQ ability of each of the students. And so there'll be my name there and my IQ ability next to it. So how intelligent they think I really am. So every teacher had a whole raft of them. So if you were, if you were a maths teacher, you'd have one for each maths class. There was an administrative error in one of the classes. And instead of having their IQ scores next to their names, what happened was that they had their locker number there instead. And so, you just had this teacher that thought they were the IQ scores, but really they were just the number of the student's locker. What they found was, that at the end of the year, was that in all the classes where students had an IQ score that was quite high, they did very well. And students with a low IQ score didn't do so well at all. 
But in this class where all the teacher had was their actual locker numbers, who thought they were the IQs, those with a high locker number did really well and improved greatly. And those with a low locker number didn't improve very much at all. And they said, why? Why is that? Why would that be? And they came to the conclusion that it was because the teacher, when she saw, or he saw that they were gifted students, they pushed them. And they said, you can do more, you can do more, you can do better than this. And they pushed them really hard, and so the students achieved. But those that she, he or she saw that had a low IQ, they didn't really bother with. And so they didn't accomplish as much as perhaps they could have done. Expectation is critical. If you want to achieve great things, you have to have high expectations. And the question comes is, well then, what is God's expectation of us? What does God expect of you and of me? You know, the, the first five books in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, you know, to Deuteronomy. People of Israel are walking in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. And they're asking that same question. Who are we? And what does God really expect of us? What are we to be? How can we know that we are pleasing God? What does he want from you and from me? Micah answered it, the prophet. And what does the Lord require of you? Micah 6.8 To love I can't even remember it now. Love justice, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Answering that same question, the pages of the scriptures are full of what it is God wants us to do. And we're coming to the end of our journey that we've been going through Philippians. You remember Paul's here, he's under house arrest in Rome. And he's written to encourage the church back in Philippi. This guy called Epaphroditus, who's one of the leaders of the church, has come all that way, 800 miles or so, to visit him, bring a, a gift of money to support Paul, because even though he's under house arrest, the government are not paying for anything. So they would just leave him there, he might die from starvation if nobody looks after him. And so the church there, they have a special offering, and then they have to send it, so this guy Epaphroditus comes. So he brings this money for Paul, to bless him and to help him as he stays there waiting to go and see Caesar before Caesar decides whether he's going to live or die. And he hears news through Epaphroditus of the church back in Philippi. And he's written this letter full of thanksgiving and praises to God. Rejoice, 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 he keeps saying. And then right at the end of his letter, he starts to address these practical things. What does God really expect of you? of the church there. What does he expect of us? Let's pray before we read together. Lord, we want to thank you for your word, because your word is life to us. It is our bread, it's our food. Lord, we can't grow and, and develop without reading your word, and without it impacting and changing our lives. And you promise your Holy Spirit that will take these words and that they will transform us to be more like your son Jesus Christ, to have more of his character. And so we ask as we read today together, as we reflect on these few verses, that you would again speak to us, challenge us, 
Encourage us. Whatever it is, we need to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear those words. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. And here he is, he summed up all his kind of his thinking, his, his theology, if you want to call it that way, his, his life. And now he looks at the church, and this is what he says. I plead with Eudia, and I also plead with Synthety to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yokefellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul is saying, first of all, you want to know how to walk with God? You want to know what God expects of you? First thing he expects of you, he says, is to be reconciled to each other. Be united together. Agree with each other. Obviously there's these two women, we don't know what the issue is but they've fallen into disagreement with each other in the church. Might have been over the colour of the carpet, all sorts of important issues. Who knows? May have been way more serious than that. But he says, get them to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, it's interesting, a number of things here. Firstly, he doesn't say that conflict is not going to happen. He doesn't say, now, pray for these, these two ladies because they're in sin. They've, they've messed up. They shouldn't be in conflict. Paul recognises that conflict is part of life. We're going to have disagreements. You're going to see one thing one way. I'm going to see it another way. That's part of living. That's part of being created differently in God's image. doesn't mean to say one way is right and the other way is wrong all the time. But we're all different. Paul says we're like a body. You know, and he says, just because you're not a big toe, don't say, well, I'm not listening to you because you're only a big toe. You know, and I'm a thumb. Thumb's more important than big toes. You don't look at it like that. A thumb is important for some things. A big toe's important for other things. And so, we all have differences. And so Paul doesn't say, now get rid of every single disagreement, conflict in the church. In fact, most of the New Testament that Paul writes comes out of that. There's problems in the church. And because there are problems, he writes these letters in response. If, he didn't, if there weren't any disagreements or any problems in the church, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. Because that's why he's writing. The whole book of Corinthians is all about differences. And saying, this is how you need to resolve it. This is what you need to do. Well, what does he say? He doesn't say that you'll never have any disagreements. But he says how you handle those disagreements is vital. First of all, he says, try and get the two people together to agree in the Lord. In other words, get them to come together to talk about it. They might not change their opinions, but actually they need to learn to walk together, to be together, to journey together in the Lord. We're all one in the Lord. All of us this morning are going to come and kneel before his table, before his cross. There's not going to make any difference. doesn't matter if you're here for the first time or you've been here for 150 years. We're all invited to his table. doesn't matter if you're an elder or a church secretary or you've been serving the Lord, you know, in all these elevated positions or if you don't have any. It doesn't matter the size of your bank account either. It doesn't matter how much you've given. It doesn't matter anything. God invites all of us 
to be exactly the same and we'll come before his table and we'll kneel and we'll just say thank you Lord. That's what it means to be one in the Lord. I I think communion is one of the most amazing things in the church. Don't you? Because all of us, I can't think of anywhere else in society anything we do where we're all equal. I'm not aiming. I'm going to eat the same bread. I'm going to drink the same juice as you guys. We're all together. We're all sinners before a holy God. Saying, Lord, we love you. Forgive us when we mess up. We just want to come and receive more of you. The fact that I wear this thing makes no difference. And that's the beauty of it. And so first of all he says, get two people together. See if they can agree before the Lord. Let's just see. See, they may not, but let's see if they can work together, walk together, side by side, even with their differences. Let's get back into what's important and what's not important. And the second thing he says is, and this is even more revolutionary, look at verse 3. He basically says, you know what? All of us have a responsibility in this. I ask you, he says, local yoke fellow, help these women. So he's in, in other words, he's saying, church, help them. Help them to come to the scene. This is not just their issue, it's all of our issue together. We need to help one another to come to this kind of place where we can all walk forward together. You know, what happens when you have conflict, when you have disagreement normally? Right? Let's say I've fallen out with Melina here, right? We're in it. You know what happens? Melina starts talking to all her friends. I start talking to all my friends. Do you know what she did? Have you ever been there? Right? Do, do you know? It's outrageous. And you're all going, yeah, I agree with you. And Melina's over on this side going, you won't believe what he did. Right? And all the side is going, yeah, I know. And pretty much, what's happening? We split. And we're going, you know. And churches split over the ridiculous things, don't they? I prefer blue colour and you prefer yellow. I mean, who cares? But anyway, we split over these things. And you get factions together. And then what happens? Then you guys who are on my side, give me a cheer. Yeah, see? And you guys on Melina's side, see? Then we start fighting. Not, it's not just me and Melina anymore. You guys start fighting across the aisle. Right? And you start having a go at them and it, and it escalates, doesn't it? When it escalates big enough, you end up with warfare. Or you split churches. And so it's all of our responsibility together to say no to this. Because you know the other thing that happens? The ministry and the mission of God's people ceases. How can you go out into the community and say, follow the love of Jesus. You know Jesus loves you? When all you're doing is throwing grenades at one another across the aisle. Uh You can't. And so the enemy, the first thing they want to do in any church is to get disagreement amongst his people. You do that, the ministry of that church dies straight away. And so it's all of our responsibility together to make sure it doesn't happen. 
And so what does Paul do? He effectively writes a letter to be read out in church. It's like the bishop or the moderator writing to us and saying, David, Melina, there's a disagreement. Church, help them to sort it out. Now that's not what normally you would do. You wouldn't make it out in the open like that. You keep it all quiet, don't you? I would just go and have a steady stream of customers in Starbucks getting on my side, right? Going, you know what I mean? Right? You do it in quiet, you don't bring it out in the open. But Paul says here, hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to bring this out in the open. This letter's going to be read in your church. Everybody's going to know these two people are arguing with each other. And all of you need to sort it out. And that's what the kingdom, that's what the church should be like. Sorting it out together. Why? Because we are in the Lord together. We kneel together before Him. We have one goal, one purpose, one baptism. We're all in this together. So we need to be reconciled with each other and to move forwards together. The first thing he says, if you want to walk in the way God wants you to walk, if you want to know what God expects of you, you need in the kingdom of God, in God's family, we need, when we have disagreements, which we will have, we have to help each other in openness to deal with it so we can walk forward together. Let's carry on. The second thing he says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We've heard that before somewhere, haven't we, in the book of Philippians. He keeps on saying rejoice, but not just rejoice, not just be happy, but in the Lord. Because the way that you be happy, the way that you can rejoice in difficult circumstances, and here's a guy that's just about to die, he thinks. The way you can still be happy or still be content with God is because of that relationship. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot rejoice. You can be happy sometimes and sad sometimes. But the the thing that holds you and sustains you is that relationship. It's what you hang on to. You can do anything to somebody, but you can never touch that relationship with Jesus. And you know what? Worship is the key ingredient. I had a tough week this week. It wasn't an easy week for me. Some people know about some of the stuff. And and I was struggling this week. And so you know what I did on Friday? It was just like one of those days, you know? When it all just there. Or one of those weeks where it's just been tough. Lots of stuff and uh, emails and all sorts. Friday, lunchtime, I heard Ronnie in here, practicing for Sunday, for today. So you know what I did? I just thought, let's leave the computer alone, leave all the stuff I've got to do, let me just come and worship. So I just came in here, picked up the guitar and said, do you mind if I play? Unfortunately he said yes. And so I just sat and we stood up here and we just started worshipping the Lord. And we just started singing. Why? Because that then takes you from where you are. From all those problems and difficulties and hassles and everything else that's going on around. And your vision starts lifting heavenward. And you start rejoicing in the Lord. And you start seeing a different perspective around you. And then I said to myself, you know what? Let, let's just, let me just go home. And my wife was there and we went out and I said, Look, we're going for a walk. Let's go. And we went out to the, into the, uh, up to the, the Ridgeway, if you know it, up in the Chilterns. 
walked up to Ivinghoe Beacon. It's beautiful up there. I love walking up there. And then we sat down in the long grass on the side of the hill. And we just, on my iPhone, we just stuck on some worship music. And we just let, let it just soak into us. And we just had our arms up in the air. I don't know what this helicopter thought when it was flying over, but we were there just singing. You know? Allowing God to lift us from, from some of the struggles. And, and as you lift, as you start rejoicing Him, you get a different perspective on what's going on. But you can't do that without that relationship to start with. That's why Paul says rejoice. Because when you're going through a hard time, when you start praising His name, when you start worshipping Him, everything starts to change. The situation stays the same. But you get a different perspective, a different viewpoint upon it. You get a new, renewed strength to face another day and to keep on going. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I was going to say it again, rejoice. How much of your time do you spend singing to God? You know, because we can get so, so wrapped up in our lives and in the pressures of our lives that we stop praising Him. We stop singing to Him. We stop reflecting and looking where we should be looking. And the joy goes out of our lives because the things around us close in. He said, keep rejoicing. You want to know how to please God? Keep praising Him. Keep looking to Him. Third thing he says, look, verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Gentle, he said. Gentleness is like, do you remember the story in John 8 of Jesus when he's there with the woman caught in adultery? This woman who's been caught and she's brought out by the leaders, of the, the religious leaders, to try and test Jesus. And this, she, he said, this woman's been caught in adultery, she deserves to be stoned to death. And Jesus is there and he writes something in the sand. And he turns to these guys who've got their stones in their hands, just about to stone her to death. And he says, you without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one they drop their stones because they know, hey, we're all sinners. And then he turns to that woman and he says, does no one here condemn you? Then neither do I. Go sin no more. You know what he does? He gets to where that woman is. I think it's one of the most beautiful stories in the scriptures. He gets down to where that woman is. He sits down beside her. He comes alongside her. Jesus had every right to say, well, you're disgusting what you've done. It's outrageous what you've done. He doesn't do that at all. He just says, if they don't, then neither do I. Neither does God condemn you. Just go and change. You've got a new start. And gentleness is just that. It's getting alongside someone. Being on their side, showing that you care. Someone else likened it to this. You know sometimes when you're going to a party or someone, something like that, or coming to church, when you've had an argument, you've had a massive row with your partner, right? Or with the kids. I know it never happens to any of you, but, right? Work with me on this one. 
And what happens? As soon as you, you have a massive row before you come to church. And you're like, oh, that's bleh, Right? And then what happens when you walk in, this, in the front door here? Everything's sweetness and light, isn't it? Oh, how's how you know, how, how's your relationship? Oh, it's fine, yeah, everything's fine, it's great, yeah. You haven't talked to each other in the car while you're on your way over, right? Go to a party, same thing happens. Oh, well, we'll have to pretend. You know, so you go around being all really nice to each other. Gentleness. Gentleness is like, is like saying, Paul's trying to say here, what would you be like if Jesus showed up that next minute? He said, God is near. Imagine in that moment Jesus shows up. What would you be like? How would you be behaving? How would you, what would you be thinking? You know, I think some of our words, some of our thoughts and our actions would be very different if we knew that any minute Jesus could show up. Well, I better not do that because Jesus might be coming. (gasps) I don't want him to see me like that. And it's a bit like when we go to somewhere like that uh, and we suddenly change because we don't want to take it with us. We know that it's not right. Act as though Jesus were about to walk into your life right now. Then that's what gentleness is all about. He carries on, not only these things, but there's more, he says. The Lord is near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Beautiful verses. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry, he said. Worry is faith in the negative. It's trusting in the unpleasant. It's the assurance of disaster and the belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Don't worry. Because what you do when you start to worry is basically you're saying, I don't trust God. Isn't it? If I worry about how my children are going to turn out, it means I'm not trusting God with my children. If I worry about how this church might end up, I'm not trusting God with the church. If I worry how I'm going to pay for this or do for that, it means I'm actually not trusting God with my life. I'm not lifting it to God. And so the Bible says, then pray. If you're worried about the future, pray about it. Say, Lord, I'm concerned. I'm going to trust you. Help me to trust you. I need your help. But help me not Try and worry about it, because if I worry about it, all I'm doing is trying to control it myself, instead of give it to you. We need to learn how to give of ourselves to God. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Matthew 6. Do the lilies of the field worry about that? The birds, do they worry? God says, I look after them. How much more am I going to look after you guys? So don't worry about it. Hudson Taylor said this, it's brilliant. He was the uh, missionary to China. He said, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all. Right into God's hands. And then, 
when we've given all over to him there'll be nothing left for us to be troubled about isn't that good? give it all to God because if you give it to God then you don't need to worry about it yourself you just trust him say Lord I'm just giving it all to you giving it all to you the problem is we often give it to him and then take it straight back again don't we? we say Lord I'm giving it to you and we like take this backpack of weight off our shoulders and we give it to him and then we go nah (laughs) I better do it myself and we take it straight back and then we go and talk to everybody else about how worried we are and they say well why don't you pray the Bible says pray oh well I've tried that but actually what we've done is we've given it and taken it back we have to learn how to leave it with him to trust him and say Lord I'm going to trust you with this and every time we start to worry we say no I'm not going to worry I've given it to Jesus I'm going to give it let me stop worrying about it it's yours Lord give it to him quote this learn this verse Philippians 4.6 do not be anxious about anything that's pretty all inclusive but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God then we'll skip down to verse 8 and the last couple of things look what he says finally brothers here's another finally still hasn't finished but anyway finally brothers whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things he says get your minds to where they should be think about the things of God so much that bombards us is not noble or right or pure or lovely or admirable excellent or even praiseworthy is it? he said think about those things you're going to be bombarded with all this other rubbish but think about the things that God of God think about the things of what God has done praise him think about those things I was at a party uh, yesterday afternoon garden party nice day for it you know people came up to me oh it's great to see you again I haven't seen them for a while some of these people so how's, how's it going at the church and in those moments you've got a choice haven't you I could say oh well you know I've had a really bad week let me tell you about my week it's just been terrible and start hanging out all the dirty laundry about all the things that have happened in my life and in the life of the church and everything else, right? Or you can say in that moment, you won't believe what God's doing in Trinity Church. It's amazing. And you have a choice in that moment as to what you're going to say. You're going to focus on the negative, you're going to focus on the things, they're real. But are you going to focus on what's praiseworthy, what's honouring to God? You have a choice to make. You have a choice about what you think about, about what you focus your attention on. How often do you think about your relationship with God? How often do you focus on Him? We could have gone for that walk on Friday afternoon and spent the whole time just grumbling and groaning could have done that 
come back, we'd have felt no better. Or you can go on a walk and we share with each other and we lift it up to God and you lie in the field and you praise his name. The choice God gives us. What are you going to think about? He says, think about godly things. Think about what he wants you to think about. Talk to him. Think about him. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. Give thanks to him. And lastly, he says, verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. If you've got your own Bibles, circle that. Underline it, highlight it, do whatever. How many people do you know? They know all about it up here, but they never put things into practice. You can learn, you know, you can learn how to become an A1 car mechanic. You can do all the lessons, you can read the textbooks. But unless you get an engine in front of you and put it into practice, what use is it? You can learn how to play the piano. You can learn it all from textbooks, but unless you go up there and play it, what's the point? When I was a kid, I took piano lessons. Grade six I was. Never took an exam. I was too scared. Never played in front of anybody. Never used the gift that I had. I just did it for myself. I used to be able to go into the living room at home, in the middle of winter, have all the lights off, flip open the piano. I used to be able to play complete pieces of music, grade 5 music, off by heart, without even in pitch black, just because I knew it, I could play it, I could hear it, and just be able to play it. It was good for me, until my mum used to come in and go, what's going on in here, and flip the light on, and I was like, oh, stop it. But it's not much use for anybody else. And how many of us in the church a little bit like that. We've been so taught this lie that, that it's my faith that's personal between me and God. That's all there is. It's just me and God. Don't touch it. Don't, don't do anything with it. It's just me and God. Me and God. That's all there is. You find me anywhere in the scriptures that says that. It's not in there. Our faith is together. Yes, it's important between me and God, but only as we share it together. How many of you have gone out and told someone else about who Jesus is? Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. How many of you have said, you know, when somebody comes up and says, oh, I'm really struggling with this issue, or I'm struggling with that, you say, I'll pray for you. But actually, you don't pray for them there. You go, I'll just include it in my quiet time at home. Because you're nervous about praying with somebody putting it into practice. Now sometimes it's not appropriate. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying in every time, in every situation. But you've all been there, I've all been there, where God spurred you inside of you and says, I need to share now. This is the moment. And you've gone, oh, no, 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 no. And you know, and I know, as I'm even saying it, God's bringing back memories where you think, if only. That was the moment I could have shared but I never did. Billy Graham tells of a moment like that with John F. Kennedy. Kennedy was talking to him one time about faith and uh, 
and they had a conversation and Kennedy and, and it stopped there uh, Billy Graham told him a little bit about faith and why he believed in Jesus and then they met some time later and they were going from a, a one convention to, to somewhere else and Kennedy as he was president he said Billy Graham will you come and sit with me in the car because there's some more things I want to talk to you about Billy Graham said no I've got a really bad cold and, and I just don't want to give that to you some other time it never happened shortly after that he was shot and Billy Graham says from that day to this I wonder what had happened if I had got into that vehicle and seized that opportunity and gone with him God gives us opportunity after opportunity we need to be people that put it into practice there's an amazing book called Christianity Rediscovered it's about a Catholic missionary called Vincent Donovan and he went to Tanzania to the Maasai Mara uh, and the Maasai tribe in Tanzania and when he was there the, the, the Catholic church had been there for a hundred years before he came they'd set up schools and hospitals even though these people are nomadic and they wander all over the place with their cattle and he went there and he suddenly realized that you know like they only came to schools because it was like education and then they would go off and back and continue their nomadic existence and he was going like well this is no way to, like, to, to talk to them so he actually went and, and arranged to go and be with them travel with them and he suddenly realized he said you know what, what, you know what I need to do here God started speaking to him saying I want you to tell them about Jesus and so when he started to understand their culture he started to, to make connections between the Bible and their culture and scripture and their culture and he started to tell them about Jesus in just a really simple way do you know what they said to him? They said, how come you guys have been here for a hundred years and no one has ever told us about Jesus Christ? They had all the hospitals and the schools and every other facility they were going, but nobody had actually told them about Jesus. And so often that's so true for us, isn't it? We know it all. We come here every Sunday. We go to Bible studies and prayer meetings. But do we actually go out when the opportunities are there? live it out tell people about who Jesus really is put it into practice Paul says because they've got no other examples he says follow me he's not saying I'm a perfect Christian but he's saying if you want to know how to live it out look at me that's what you should be like what I should be like we should be there going you know what if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, look at Melina. She's not perfect, but look at her because she'll give you a good idea of what it means to live out a Christian life. Look at Brian, you know, look at David, look at, and we should be able to name each one of us saying, follow my example. It's not perfect, don't get me wrong, but hey, I'm trying. God's working in me and through me. Maybe you can learn something. And do you know the results of all this? He says, if you're reconciled together, united together, if you keep rejoicing in Him, if you're gentle with one another, if you lift your prayers to God so you're not filled with anxiety and hemmed in by the things around you, if you think about God 
and have him at the forefront of your mind. If you put it into practice, look at the result. In verse 7 he says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And verse 9, And the God of peace will be with you. He says if you do this, if you walk the way he wants you to walk, you never do it perfectly, but if you, if you give it a good shot, if you go this way, one, the God of peace, God Almighty will be with you. Not maybe, he will be in your life. And he not only will be with you, but he'll bring his peace, the peace of God. The peace that nobody else can understand unless you've got it. You can't even describe it unless you've got it. But it's that peace that knows that you're in a relationship with God, that there is nothing that can separate you from his love, that will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that presence of God living in you. Matthew Henry said, Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but it's the confidence that he is there with you always. That's the peace that God gives when you walk with him. I heard about an evangelistic meeting in a Salvation Army place. A guy called Booth Tucker, he was preaching about the sympathy of Jesus. And after his message, a man came up to him and said, If your wife had just died like mine has, and your babies were crying for their mother, who would never come back, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. A few days later, Tucker's wife died. She was killed in a train crash. And her body was brought back into that same place, that same church, for the funeral. And after the service, the bereaved preacher looked down into the silent face of his wife. And then he turned to everyone that was there. And he said this, he said, The other day a man told me I wouldn't speak of the sympathy of Jesus if my wife had just died. If that man is here, I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. He said, my heart is broken, but it has a song there, put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. That's the peace of God that passes any kind of logical understanding but it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you challenge us with high expectations. High expectations because you know us. You know the potential that you have placed within each one of us. And a high expectation because you have given us your spirit that gives us everything that we need to reach that expectation. When we stand before you one day, there will be no excuse. We won't be able to say, well I couldn't do it, because you'll say, I gave you my spirit. So you could have done it. Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be reconciled to one another to live in unity and to be a force for uniting one another together. 
under the common banner, the common goal of seeing your name glorified. Help us when we get worried to lift and to keep on lifting our prayers to you until that anxiety just disappears. Lord, help us to walk with you with confidence. Help us to think about your thoughts, to focus upon you. Help us to be the people you want us to be. We thank you because we're not alone. We have one another and we have you, the God of peace and your spirit, the peacemaker working within us to make it possible. May we, as we walk with you, give you joy, Lord, because as you look at us, you look down with a smile, knowing that we are walking the way you want us to walk, doing what you want us to do, being who you created us to be. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.